Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis by mailing a check to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 159-13-15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. And I want to go ahead and thank... Carl and Carolyn and Francis for supporting the show in that way. Thanks so much for your support. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it is time for this week's Adventure of Sam Spade. And I will apologize in advance for the audio quality. I think the, the recording we have... Uh, here is probably as good as it gets. And I know Andrew will do what he can with it, but it sounds like this is one of those recordings that has been copied multiple times, so multiple generations. But uh, it still should be uh, understandable. Now, at the start of the episode, it's hard to understand, Sam, but that's not actually uh, to do with the sound quality. That is an aspect of the plot which will be explained. All right, so all that out of the way, let's go ahead and listen to today's adventure with Sam Spade, the original air date, January the 4th, 1948, and the title is The One Hour Keeper. Sam Spade. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Spade, this is Hank Page, Page's 
Frederick across the street. We put in some cards for you, remember? Oh, yes, Hank. I was about to call you. My secretary is just making out the check. Oh, forget that bill, Sam. I need your help. Well, drop in tomorrow. I'll be glad to talk to you. Tomorrow may be too late. I'd rather not be seen coming to your office. Pop up the saloon uh, downstairs in your building, say, in five minutes. Well, if it's important, Hank. Well, I don't know. I, I got something here. I want you to look at it. If it's what I think it is, it's important. I'm going to hang up now. See you in five minutes. <laughs> Same old hat, Abby. What's the matter with it? It's not referring to your hat, Sam. Well, that's what you're looking at. Well, I'm trying to avert my eyes, Sam. Here's a suit. Oh, oh. oh okay. I forgot. Well, uh, look out the window, Abby. I'll put it on. Got a phone call. Maybe a job. I got to meet a man. Sam, you can't go out on a job now. Why not? Why do you think I got your suit dress? The man's coming to take your picture. What man? From Baffling Detective Magazine. Oh. Well, I'll try and make it for you. Oh, Sam, I'm tired of making excuses to people. I set up this apartment for 5.30, and I want you back in plenty of time. I wish you wouldn't go. <laughs> oh, all right, go on. But if you aren't back in this office by 5 o'clock, that's, that's p.m., Sam. You can you can find someone else to make your excuses. Okay, okay. Shall we synchronize our rockets? I skipped the elevator and walked downstairs to save time. It was 11 minutes after 4, last beer time, when I reached the entrance of the happy hour oyster and beverage box. I turned and looked across the street. Hank Page was just stepping off the curb. He was jaywalking, but that didn't explain what happened. He saw it in plenty of time and jumped back out of the way. It saw him, too. The wheels cut sharply towards him, and the front bumper caught him just behind the knee. Keep moving there. Keep moving. Come on. Come on. Back on the sidewalk. Come on now. We'll take care of him. We'll take care of him. Damn. Damn. Yeah, Hank. Leave him be, Mr. Spade. Leave him be. I've got to get it. Come on. Get these people back. This man's hurt bad. Give him some air. Better not try to talk, Hank. Oh, no. Sam. Uh, here. This is it. Cigarette case. Hey, wait, wait, wait. What was that? What was that? What's what, Clancy? Well, he, he gave you something there. A gold cigarette case. I've seen him. Oh, you must be mistaken, Clancy. Hank. Can you talk anymore? Cigarette. Sam, yeah. Find out. Gotta find out. My wife. Yeah, what about your wife? I. I. I can't. Nice and nice. That's all. Mr. Page? 
I uh, knew your husband slightly. My name is Sam Spade. Oh. Oh, yes, yes. There was a detective. He said he was going to see you. Did he? Not quite. You happen to know what he wanted to see me about? Yes, he, he found something, a cigarette case. He didn't tell me what it meant, but he seemed very worried about it. He told me that if anything happened to him, I should claim his belongings right away. See, here they are. His watch, his wallet, elk's pit, school ring, dark cutter, little cigarette case. Oh, no, please, Mrs. Bates. I've got the cigarette case here. You've got it? How did you... Oh, he gave it to me just, uh, just after the accident. I think he was trying to tell me to give it to you. Here, you take it. Oh, no, no. His initials. So, so, some woman gave it to him. I don't want it. I don't want it. Just, just put it away. Out of my sight. Out of my sight forever. Okay, okay. Open your eyes now. It's back in my pocket. Thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, let's talk with the space. What was on your husband's mind? Well, I, I don't know. He wasn't very well. Heart trouble. Nothing terribly serious. But he'd get these little spells and he'd have to stay home from work. Sometimes a week or ten days. But Mr. Soleil, the woman at the print shop, would look after things, you know. I, I, I even thought he was getting better. Your husband have any fights lately? Oh, my, no. He wouldn't dare with his heart. He had a black eye. Oh, Oh, that happened at home. He fell down. Yeah. Well, I'll, uh, I'll be in touch with you. Outside, the fog was rolling in. I stopped under a streetlight and spent an estimated 45 seconds trying to figure out what time it was for the calendar watch my secretary gave me for Christmas. The barometer was falling, it said. The temperature was 63, and I was facing northwest. I looked in a jewelry store to find out it was 4.23. My hour was nearly half gone, and the only clues I had were a cigarette case and a black eye. I took the case out of my pocket and opened it. There were cigarettes in it. I took one out and lit it. It was nasty. And I saw something green behind the cigarette. It looked better. It looked like money. When I examined it more closely, I wasn't so sure. The printing on it was Dutch, and the amount was 100 florins. Banks were closed, but it only cost me two nickels and a pay telephone to find out where to take it. It was a small but solid-looking establishment on Montgomery. The gold lettering on the plate glass window said Van Pelden Meisner, commercial agent, Amsterdam, New York, San Francisco, Macassar, and Curacao. Gentlemen, here. I uh, want to see Mr. Meisner. There is no Mr. Meisner. There's only Van Pelt. And I'm Hendrik Van Pelt. I'm so sorry. Oh, don't say it like that. Maybe you can help me. What can I do with you? Well, uh, somebody paid me off for a job in Dutch money. I want to know how much it's worth. Oh, this better than Meisner, I know. The value of money. Show me, please. Ah. Maybe you'd like a cigarette, too. That's Dutch. Please. My brand, Sumatra Queen. Good. You like good? Good. No, the money. All on the floor. I under the light, look. Uh-huh. Serial number. Here is M. Quadrate clear. Seal good color. Paper. Paper excellent. Give it this yes. What's it worth? Well, look. Latest quotation. Glorying against the dollar. Uh-huh. Fifty-three dollars, thirty-four cents. That's what the exchange fee taking out. Uh, you like ten-dollar notes? 
I love them. You mean that money's real money? Who knows better than I should? Yes. My brother was engraver to the Royal Dutch Treasury. <laughs> I myself in the manufacturing works until the occupation coming was... <clears throat> Pardon me, would you mind saying that again, please? Yes. Or in the manufacturing from all kinds of money, including already currencies from the Indies, East and West, Java, Tel Aviv, Borneo, and Homeland, Netherlands. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Also, six months in Bulilong, Bali, where I'm English learning. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> learned English? Several foreign languages. Oh, uh, uh, well, I'll take it in ten. Uh, Where's Mr. Van Pelt? That's just it. That's just it. She's running the other room to make a drink. I can come back. 
You don't know how glad I am you're here. Do you know why he invited me to have this drink with you? I guess I got one way. Thank you. Listen, he wants to buy Hank's cigarette case. And, of course, much as I say, an Indian burger and Mr. Spade. Yeah. Well, you know, Hank didn't need much, only a little insurance. And the printing shop is a partnership, you know, Hank and Mrs. Delay. And the cigarette case is just a windfall. I told him you wouldn't stand in the way of a widow. I wouldn't think of it. I knew you'd do the decent thing, Mr. Spade. Uh, uh, please, please, Mr. Spade. My booze is besides, I haven't got it. You haven't got no, it? No, now, look, 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 Mr. Spade. Blanche. Okay, now, Blanche, try and think. Did you ever hear your husband mention Van Pelt? No. No, they... No, they never even met. Mr. Van Pelt said so. Well, how'd Van Pelt find out about the cigarette case? He said you showed it to him. Uh-huh. Oh, well, you know your husband's partner, Mr. Soleil. Oh, we're total strangers now. I told my husband everything. He forgave me. Uh-huh. And what did Mr. Soleil tell you? Nothing much, nothing. He led a very dull life. Almost as soon as he got out of reform school, he took a forgery there. Oh, very That's good. where he became a, a master fitter. Sir, did they say? Oh, yes, they do. Well, they're not much help. Au contraire, Blanche. Au contraire. <laughs> I escorted her outside and pushed her into a taxi. Then I walked back to Church Street. As I rounded the corner, I could see light in the window of Peyton's sweatering. The chimes were hammering out a quarter of five when I entered Hank Page's shop. In the back, a guy was sitting at a desk in his shirt sleeve, checking off figures in a ledger. I introduced myself, and he told me his name was Ben Soleil. He shook hands, and then he waved me to a chair across the desk. Oh, this is awful, Sage. What with one thing and another, we're heels over head and work, and got to pull with these books, and I don't know a thing about it, and I... Oh, pardon me. Yeah. Oh. Oh, all right. Oh, well, things are a little confused there just now. Could you tell me a little more about it? Huh? Oh, yes, I understand the problem. Well, we're handling it at this end, but we'll be very busy for a while. Yeah. Now, there's definitely no point in you dropping by tonight. Well, I guess the news of the boss's death would make some difference to those customers, but no. You take that fellow that just... Yeah, I know you're very busy, Mr. Chalet. I don't want to take up too much of your time, so... Hey, uh... What makes you think that car deliberately ran down the boy? Did I say so? Well, you're an insurance dick, aren't you? You got me tagged. Anybody have anything against him, as far as you know? Well, he, he fired two printers last week. Why? Well, they couldn't spell in English. You, uh, see Mr. Page this afternoon? Yeah, he came in for about ten minutes. Said he'd be back on the job tomorrow morning. He was killed this afternoon last week. How'd he look? Well, same as usual. You wouldn't say he'd been in a fight. Oh, good Lord, no. He was a sick man. He had a piece of foreign in his hand when he was hit. Know anything about that? Well, sure, he got it here. One of our customers, a man named Van Pelt, paid for some work with it. Boss wanted it for a souvenir, so he took it with him. Uh, does Van Pelt know about Page's heart? Oh, that's a stupid question, I You didn't know Page was killed with Van Pelt's car. Uh, that's a long shot, sir. Thanks, there's another one. You're lying straight down the line. Huh? You no, wait a You minute. didn't see Page today. If you had, you'd have mentioned that he had a black eye. He didn't take that Dutch money for a souvenir. If he had, you'd have mentioned the cigarette case. You said enough. What are you doing? Shutting down for the night? You'll find out. Put your hands outside of the desk. I slipped the muzzle of my gun. I've been holding in my lap for three minutes, flying up over the edge of the desk for Ben Soleil to see it. He did what I told him to. The press room door was directly behind him, and I knew his body would scream my guns in the view of anybody that might come through it in response to the signal he got. I didn't have long to wait. Three men, black with ink, came to the door and threw it into the little office. They strolled in, careless and casual. 
What's up, Ben? You got ice in your head? Huh? What's this? Stop right there. Stop because they'd all been mounted on the same pair of legs, but I didn't like my position at all. If these men decided to jump me, I could down just one of them before the other three were on me. I knew it, and they knew it. Then I felt some fresh air on the back of my neck as the street door opened behind me. It's me, Blanche Spade. Get out of here quick. Find a cop and bring him back here. Will you do that? Sure, I will. You can count on me. Blanche's mouth opened in a broad grin. I didn't need any more warning than that. I threw myself sideways, but I wasn't quick enough. The blow I got from behind with Blanche's lady's handbag type persuaded didn't hit me full on, but I got enough of it to fold up my legs as if the knees were hinged with paper and I slammed into a heap on the floor. Something dark crashed towards me. I crossed with both hands. I had a foot kicking in my face. I wrung it the way it went out of knock. I was dimly aware that my feet were under me again. Some squirming thing was on my back, and a hot, damp object like a hand was across my face. I put my teeth into it and hit back as far as it would go. Maybe it smashed into the face it was meant for. I don't know. Anyway, the squirming thing was no longer on my back, and suddenly I could see again. I saw a brass cuspidor six inches or so in front of my eyes. That's how I knew I was down on the floor again. I grabbed the cuspidor and tugged at it. I staggered to my feet with it and used it to club a clear space in front of me. I swung it high and let go. And I was back on the floor again with six or eight hundred pounds of flesh hammering my face into the boards. But you can't throw a brass cuspidor through a plate glass window into a rush hour crowd in downtown San Francisco without attracting attention. The hour of rescue was at hand. And it was exactly 5 p.m. Hey, and that, Clancy, is the most of the crop. You guessed it. It was the counterfeiting caper with variations. The returns are not all in yet, but I think when the feds pick up Van Pelt, they'll find he was telling the truth when he said he was working in a Dutch government printing office in Amsterdam at the time of the Nazi occupation. He probably bought his, bought his way out of the country with the same kind of money he and Soleil were printing here. Genuine Dutch Florence printed from the original plate. Being a skilled metal worker, he designed a gold cigarette case into which those plates would fit with uncanny accuracy. The crowning touch was the way in which he concealed them from view. He filled the case with an odious brand of Dutch cigarettes, which only fools or criminals could possibly smoke. It was the safest hiding place in the world. So clever was it. Now, get this fancy me boy... That even I, Sam Say Detective, never suspected the presence of base metal until it stopped that slug Van Pelt threw at me in the alley. Period. End of the report. Oh, Sam, to think you went through all that just to keep your promise to me. Yes, Abby, but uh, what hurts even more than these wolves is the thought that you've done at my work. Oh, I didn't say that, Sam. I only inferred that you had no sense of time. Yes? Well, I guess you've changed your mind about that, eh? No, I haven't. May I ask why? Well, I'd rather not discuss it during working hours, Sam, but as soon as I've typed up this report, I'll tell you exactly what I mean. I just hand it to him on the way to the streetcar. Save the stamp at. What else? Oh, all right, Sam. You won't be needing me anymore. I'll... Uh... Sit down. It's nearly 5.30, Sam. Not told the photographer not to come. That's a fine thing. After all I've been through, you still say I have no sense of time and you told the photographer not to come. Why? Because I knew you wouldn't be back in time and if you were, you'd look so terrible the picture wouldn't be any good anyway. Thanks a lot. 
Welcome back. Well, this is a fun episode. Uh, it's It can be really interesting when a series tries to mix things up with a little bit of a gimmick. And in this case, it's the idea that the entire story happened in the course of an hour. Though it does seem people were moving around town mighty quickly. If you are in San Francisco, try to follow Sam's footsteps and let us know if all of this really could have happened in an hour. Because I'm just thinking some of the travel time. But since I'm not in San Francisco, I can't say. But a good mystery, lots of good action... Again, I would love to have a higher quality uh, encode of this from something that hadn't been as passed around as much as I think this recording had been before being digitized. But I enjoyed it, and I hope you did as well. Well, now we're going to bring you a uh, little bit of an extra, particularly since this week's episode is short. Uh, there are quite a few uh, Sam Spade uh, comedy skits, as I referenced uh a couple, three weeks ago. And we're going to try to uh, include the shorter ones. Uh, on those episodes that are a little bit short, uh, this uh, one we're going to play actually features Howard Duff. This was from Philco uh, Radio Time, which was uh, Bing Crosby's uh, radio program. Perhaps the best one he did. And in this uh, clip, the guests include Clifton Webb, who played a lot of very particular and proper roles. Uh, he would go on to star as Mr. Belvedere in a couple of movies. And, of course, the legendary singer Burl Lives, though this uh, clip does not feature any of his uh, singing. Rather, I'm uh, kind of taking part in this comedy stage. So here, again, uh, is uh, Philco Radio Time. Let's go ahead and take a listen to their uh, little parody of a private investigator program. Presenting Clifton Webb, Private Face. <laughs> the eyes, ears, and nose of crime. Yes, I'm Clifton Webb, Private Face. In the Tenderloin District of San Francisco, the police were baffled by a series of 17 grisly murders. But the mystery of San Francisco's killer didn't bother me for a moment. Fortunately, my offices are in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> there, high in the Rocky Mountains, I maintain headquarters with my assistant, a dullard named Crosby. One crisp autumn morning as I sat there, high in the Rockies, 
Crosbing spoke to me. Uh, Chief, let's, uh, let's move higher up into Rockies, huh? <laughs> My sinus is killing me. <laughs> Crosbing, there are times when I question your value to me. Remember, I deal in murder. Yeah, well, start dealing. Just then, the door burst open, and a very large guitar entered the office, dragging a man behind it. Are you Webb, the private face? I am, and I'll thank you not to talk so close into it. I detest the odor of catfish. I'm in trouble. Somebody's out to kill me. Immediately... Immediately, my assistant and I donned our mountain clothing, which I had purchased from an army surplus store, went out and mounted our pack mules, which I had purchased from an army surplus store, and got them started up the trail by giving them a few whacks, which I had also purchased from an army surplus store. <laughs> we rode our mules for several hours, and when the going got too rough for them, we dismounted and rode Mr. Ives. <laughs> Five days later, Ives confessed to us that he was lost. Mr. Webb, I'm lost. <laughs> For days, we wandered in the mountain forests. With nothing to eat but roast pheasant, truffles, lobster thermidor, veal scallopini, crepe Suzette, and Brussels spouts. All of which I naturally had purchased from an army surplus store. <laughs> Toward evening of the second day, Ives said, I'm hungry. Boy, what I wouldn't give for a mess of catfish. <laughs> My fine, fat fellow, will you kind of... Oh, he got me. Look, Chief, somebody shot Ives right out from under us. Now we are lost. <laughs> I... Okay, you men, break it up. That'll do. Start scattering. Just a minute. Who are you? My card, sweetheart. Hey, look at this card, Clifton. It's the Sam of Spade. That's right, sweetheart. Sam Spade, license number 137596. I was uh, sitting in my convertible outside listening to this broadcast on my two-way wrist radio and I decided I'd heard enough. Both ways. <laughs> Mr. Spade, I am in the midst of solving a crime. Scram. Clifton, <laughs> this is the Sam Spade. I don't care if he's the steam shovel. <laughs> Quiet, you well-dressed toothbrush. One more peep out of you. One more peep out of you, and I'll cut off your supply of wild root cream oil. Oh, there, Seamus. Let's not go overboard. This man's my guest here. And that goes for you, too, frog voice. Oh, me. Mm. He's going to cut me off from wild root cream oil yet. <laughs> now, who takes the rap for this rot? Is it you, ladle ears, or ladle. you? Uh... I refuse to answer until I've talked with my astrologer. Emma's on the stall here. I'm getting an answer from one of you, and I'm getting it now. Which one of you is going to sing? Okay, Spade. I know when I'm trumped, I'll sing. Oh, you're smarter than I figured, Cross. Let's have it. Well, this is Philco Week, Spade, and if I sing, it's going to be a commercial. Welcome back. Well, that was a bit of a random character appearance for Sam Spade. But the applause, I think, is an indication of just the degree to which Sam Spade was a cultural uh, phenomenon 
in the years right after uh, World War II. Well, listener comments and feedback now, and uh, we start with a we start with a note that Francis sent along in addition to the donation. And the question is: Is it time for bold venture? Uh, well, that's a good question. Uh, my answer, you know, for years and years and years, has been that bold venture is not a detective program, which is still true. However, we could potentially feature it in a podcast because I am weighing a bold venture uh, of my own uh, a couple years down the line with a series, Old Time Radio Adventure Theater. Again, this is probably a couple years down the line at this point, and I will talk about it in more detail, probably way more detail than uh, most people would like to hear, uh, when we get to our listener support slash appreciation week coming up towards the end of the month. So stay tuned on that. Over on YouTube, we have a couple of comments on the candy uh, tooth caper. Uh, Saysoff writes, Adam, it's also worth noting at this time, Joseph Kearns was the announcer for Suspense. Uh, this is one of quite a few suspense episodes in which he does double duty as both announcers and one of the actors. Well, thanks so much, and uh, it's definitely worth saying that uh, Joseph Carnes, who I think I, when if I encountered Joseph Carnes' work at all, it was as the first Mr. Wilson on Dennis the Menace. But he was so integral to the golden age of radio. He rarely had, like, the big starring part, but he uh, provided so much character and announced so many programs. Uh, he was, I think, in he was in my top ten back when I did a list of radio's most essential people. I think probably top five. And, and definitely such an important figure in nearly any sort of radio program, whether it was... Comedy, drama, uh, mystery, he really left such a huge impact and legacy in the world of radio. And then, uh, Dr. Frankenstein's Creations comments, Wow, a great episode. And of all the Sam Spade shows I've heard, that's the harshest I've ever heard Effie get. Kitten indeed. C-A-T, kitten. Thanks so much. I do think that... Uh, at least from what I've heard, that the earlier takes on Effie, she was a little bit more serious and a little bit more uh, willing to push back on Sam. Uh, I think in later years, maybe they played up the comedy a bit more and kind of the, you know, really zany side of her uh, characterization. But I, I definitely think there have been some strong uh, performances and... Uh, Effie calling Sam out a bit more than we might hear later on so far. And then we also have a uh, an email I received from Sean. And Sean uh, writes in, Hi Adam, I love the podcast. In a recent episode, you uh, talked about how Sam Spade was parodied many times. I'm not sure you, if you know of this one. Uh, in the early 90s, 91-92, there was a cartoon I used to watch called Garfield and Friends. I recently found it online and started enjoying it with my kids. 
There is an episode where Garfield plays Detective Sam Spade, as in spay and neuter your pets. Thanks, Bob Barker. My kids were confused as to why I was laughing so hard. Many jokes went over their heads, but I enjoyed it so much more now because I know the history and premise of the hard-boiled uh, detective. Thanks for the podcast. Uh, came for Johnny Dollar, but uh, now stay for them all. Well, thanks so much, Sean. I was really into Garfield when I was a kid. I think I might be maybe a year older or, or something like that than Sean. I started watching Garfield and Friends in 1988 when it first started airing. And for a couple years, maybe three, was really into the series. But then some things just happened in terms of traveling, not being able to watch television for a while. And so I was, I didn't watch it as much in the, the later years. It was on till 1994. I did some research, and the episode that Sean is referencing wasn't actually part of the cartoon series. Because uh, back in the 80s and 90s, there were Garfield TV specials. And probably the most well-known is the Garfield Christmas and the Garfield uh, Thanksgiving. And to be honest, I hadn't seen any of the other specials other than those two. Except for Garfield Goes Hollywood, which I think I saw at least twice as a kid, and I honestly don't know why. Not that it was bad, but maybe my dad randomly recorded it on VHS off television. I don't remember. But at any rate, this one I hadn't seen, and... It was really good. It was such a delight to watch. It really does a great job capturing the uh, genre and having a, a good, fun mystery as well as uh, being able to have some nice comedy. The essential plot is that Garfield uh, goes into a closet and dreams he's a hard-boiled San Francisco private eye named Sam Spade. And he's got to solve a murder. So if you were wondering what your cat does all day, there you go. Now, because it is a special rather than an episode of the cartoon, you can have those sort of jokes that the kids don't quite get. Because uh, when uh, TV networks made primetime specials of uh, cartoon characters, they were uh, meant to be for the whole family, while the cartoons were targeted more towards kids. And it makes for a really uh, nice special. Now, if you do have Amazon Prime, and I'm not doing an ad for Amazon, but this is where you can watch it. Uh, on Amazon Prime, you just search for Garfield Specials, and uh, it's Babes and Bullets, and I will write uh, a full review over on uh, the website. And I really appreciate Sean uh, mentioning it because it was something that I missed from my childhood that was actually really good and held up. And I think it's good for all ages, really. A lot of fun. All right, well, now let's go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Ron, Patreon supporter since May of 2020, currently supporting us at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Ron. 
And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to rate and review it wherever you download your podcast from. Next Monday, we'll be back with another episode of Sam Spade. And next Tuesday, we'll be bringing you a previously uncirculated episode of Defense Attorney. But coming up tomorrow, listen for a previously uncirculated episode of Sherlock Holmes, where... Along with man. Oh, thank heavens. Come in, come in. Uh-huh. Holmes, this is my old friend, Lionel Greatlake. Oh, delighted. Honored, and I may say grateful and relieved. This is the sixth test inside of a month, Mr. Holmes. Got the place in an uproar. Nurses have hysterics, patients insist on going home. I take it you are alluding to the cadavers which have been stolen recently. Yes, Mr. Holmes, you know how jealous a hospital is of its reputation. At least it will bet of scandal. Oh, and... cheer up, Leo. Maybe it's just a prank of one of the lads. You know what medical students are. No, no, that's what I thought when we found the first body missing four weeks ago. But now that five have been stolen, oh no, that's carrying a joke too far. They tried to get away with another this evening. Really? I just happened to drop into the dissecting room and time to stop it. The minute I opened the door, I knew someone was in there, but... He slipped out the side way before I could light the gas. But uh, come and see for yourself. Follow me. The, the laboratories are in this way. Oh, mausoleum. Licks vermilion, Leo. Remember when we used to sneak a forbidden smoke behind that broom closet? I wish to heaven life were as simple nowadays. Deuced faces like a beehive, buzzing with suspicion. wonder we've been able to keep it out of the papers. Ah, uh, here we are. One second till I unlock the door. Uh, yes. Now, uh, just let me turn up the gas. <coughs> yeah. Well, there we are. Uh, quite impressive. I see you have all the latest improvements. Oh, uh, that gentleman in the corner, I take it he was the object of tonight's attempted abduction. Yes, Mr. Holmes, that's the cops. Splendid specimen, do. Face a bit the worst for wear. Well, otherwise, a splendid body. Yes, yes, we're most anxious not to lose him. He must be fairly recent. I see there have been no injections of the preserving fluid. That's right, Mr. Holmes. He died only this afternoon. Mm. And the other stolen bodies, they have been duly preserved, I suppose. Well, uh, no, now to mention it, they, they were all stolen before being treated. Curious, eh, Watson? Well, I don't know. I suppose if you're going to be a body snatcher, you might as well take fresh ones. Uh, I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.